My name is John Williamson. I'm a senior manager in risk advisory services. Uh, I've been with Whitley Penn for eight years. Um, our department is primarily responsible for SOX 404 consulting, internal audit, enterprise risk management, uh, SOC reporting, and last but not least, cybersecurity. And with me is Jesus Vega. Why don't you tell us about yourself, Jesus? Yeah, I'm a uh, former security engineer. I've been doing IT security for the last 12 years, focusing in a lot of compliance and internal audit. And I've been with Whitley Penn now over a year and a half. And it's been a fantastic year and a half, hasn't it? It has. Yeah, good. <laughs> so, um, so today we're going to talk about cybersecurity. And admittedly, this is a very broad subject. And as Jesus and I were preparing for this, I think we... You know, we were we were contemplating the fact that we could probably spend hours solely on this topic, uh, but I think what we're going to try to do today is to address um, some very high-level components of uh, what you can do um, to help improve your security posture, uh, implement some internal controls and best practices, and try to keep it to a, a, a list of very high-level practical things that you can do. Um, so, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about, Jesus, is very often whenever we um, discuss cybersecurity with our clients, um, they may present to us or assert to us uh, that, well, they have a firewall in place, they have antivirus, anti-malware in place, uh, and therefore they're secure. And I think our initial reaction is, is okay, that's, that's nice, but it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you have an extraordinarily secure information technology environment. Um, so given the fact that we know that cybersecurity is a big risk area, um, what are some of the initial steps that we should do to address this risk? So the first thing you need to do is conduct a formal risk assessment on your IT environment. Uh, not to confuse it with your business risk assessment, because most times companies will start looking at their risk assessment and start saying, okay, so we have a competitor that's doing uh, similar um, services that we're offering. How do we uh, compensate that? Do we, you know, I invest more on marketing and we do uh, uh, solutions that improve our offerings. But that kind of risk only in, uh, addresses the business side of the house. We need to talk about what is running your business, your firewalls, your computers, your uh, um, users. So to do that, the first thing you need to do on an IT risk assessment is looking at identifying your threats. What could be an area of impact? Um, you kind of need to estimate the likelihood of that happening. So if you have state-of-the-art firewalls, the likelihood of a firewall being uh, breached by an attacker is very minimal. However, if you have an old uh, firewall in your system, uh, something that might be end of life, well then you are likely to be breached by somebody finding an exploit. Um, you need to identify um, the, the value of what you have at risk. So if your business is all open source information, then your data is not that valuable because everybody knows that you're just providing a service based on data. However, if you have intellectual property, if you have um, data that is sensitive in nature, such as records that are, might be from uh, business retail or credit cards or socials, mm -hmm. then your, the value of your data goes extremely high. And I, I think, Jesus, that's, uh, that's a really good point, right? I think, so first to distinguish the difference between an IT risk assessment and risk that may impact your business. Well, an IT risk assessment um, can be part of an enterprise-wide risk assessment, um, but the objectives of it are really, truly different. 
uh, the objectives of the risk assessment really need to focus on your cybersecurity threats and largely what's going to determine your risk areas or your risk threats or risk events is going to be the data that you have. Right? So a lot of us will, uh, depending on the data that we have, will, um, will mean that we have to comply with various requirements, uh, compliance requirements. It'll expose us to the risk of an attack, meaning that we might have more valuable data. Um, that a cyber criminal may want to access, right? So I think those are very good building blocks. So if you could then maybe just talk us through why it's important to do this risk assessment and maybe some initial steps on, on how one might go about this. Okay. Yeah, definitely. The uh, importance of doing a risk assessment is you, you do the risk assessment to identify the areas of concern. Um, you can start prioritizing what needs to be addressed because every organization, regardless of size, has limited resources. So conducting a, an IT risk assessment, you'll start saying, okay, so these are my critical risks, something that can be exploited and attacked and can be detrimental to the business, so let's focus on fixing those first. Then you can move on to something that is possible that it may be compromised if it gets attacked by an external party, but it's unlikely. And then the, the smaller the issues that are easily addressed, um, and can be done on your regular uh, patching cycles or something like that. But the risk assessment will help you on that. Um, once you've identified all those risks, if you can mitigate yourself or fix, you can also start thinking about um, a way to transfer the risk to another source. So for mm -hmm. example, if your risk is that you have no security around your data storage, well, you can always consider buying a service uh, that would store the data for you, something like a cloud solution and then you transfer the risk over to them. Mm -hmm. uh, or you can put in a, a mitigation, which is like a tool that is in place to protect your data, such as like encrypting your data address. Yeah. And you know, Jesus, I think that um, in working with our clients, it may seem almost like a no-brainer, right? To take a risk-based approach to addressing cybersecurity. Because the, um, the way to do it then is to focus on the highest risk areas first, so these are going to be the areas that are most important to your business, to your information technology infrastructure, and then you can prioritize and tackle those, those really significant items that will be truly impactful to your internal controls. Um, but from that point forward then, you know, one thing that I like to, I like to think about um, in the risk assessment world is that, um, is that it's not necessarily the subject matter that makes a difference. Uh, the risk assessment process is really similar depending upon whether it's business, strategic, compliance, information technology, and it's usually, if we were to boil it down, um, it's identifying risk events, evaluate the likelihood of that risk happening, and the impact of that risk, and then you should evaluate your total inherent risk, right? Those two multiplied together should essentially be our inherent risk. Um, from that point forward, then evaluate your risk responses. And that's exactly what you were getting into on should we be transferring this risk? Should we be mitigating this risk through an internal control or a solution that can address the cybersecurity risk? Um, or is it just something that we're willing to accept because the risk level is within our risk appetite? Um, and so I think that's probably, that's a really good way to approach it that if, if you're trying to improve your cybersecurity posture, risk assessment, evaluate your truly critical risks, understand what your risk responses are, and that should give you some insight as to whether you have good solutions and good controls in place today. Uh, and then if you don't, from that point forward, you can say, well, I should probably improve our risk response by doing X, Y, and Z. 
Um, and speaking of X, Y, and Z, um, what are some of those things then, if we were to try to boil this down and say, here's some truly critical and important best practices, risk mitigation strategies, internal controls. If you could give us a list, Jesus, of just a few things that'll be really important for us, what would those be? Yeah, definitely. So a lot of organizations have no real inventory of their assets. Mm -hmm. They have an idea of what they have based on the expenses they've incurred of obtaining computers and servers and all the equipment that runs the business. But at the end of the day, having an inventory that is up to date, current, knowing whose asset is being used by whom is one of the critical areas that businesses seem to be forgetting to do. And, and I wondered if, Jesus, you could maybe expand on why this is so important. Because I think very often, once we start helping our clients understand um, that an asset inventory is important, they start to identify that there are some systems that might be at end of life. So why is that important and uh, why should we consider it? So having an inventory would only uh, would allow you to have an idea of which systems are coming to end of life. Which end of life means that the system is uh, getting to the, uh, the point where it's no longer supported by the vendors. Thinking on computers, let's say Microsoft's uh, servers, 2003, those are end of life. That means that there's no longer patches for them. If you're running them in your business, you are vulnerable to exploits that are new to the, uh, the wild of the internet and you have a system that's end of life. So okay. the inventory will help you find those um, issues. Okay. And then maybe just if you could, in, in layman's terms, for the accountants of us that might be listening, um, maybe just explain what a patch is and why not having an up-to-date patch might be a problem. So a patch is, you know, every month you get that annoying message on your computer saying that you need to restart to apply security patches. Yes, and I always select the option to, to do it later. Yes, okay. that's what we don't want to do. We want to make sure we always install the security updates in Microsoft or any vendor for that matter puts out there. Microsoft is the biggest name in the industry, so that's uh, what we pick on. But there's uh, all vendors have security updates, and those, those uh, are there for... Uh, a solution on a, of an identified problem, which is usually known as a vulnerability. Okay, very good. Um, besides uh, your inventory, another item that you definitely want to have in your uh, environment is data mapping, which means do you know where your documents are? Not where they're supposed to be, where they actually are. Most organizations have file shares of one sort or another, and they say this is our data repositories, everything that we have that is sensitive should be here. But the keyword is should. Mm -hmm. So there's, they need to figure out who has access to that data uh, and do they have the opportunity to copy it or somewhere else. Um, also, uh, I alluded to it right now, but uh, do a vulnerability scan on uh, your environment, which means um, a vulnerability scan is a, a scan by a technology that goes into every single component of your environment. It sees if they're up to date on patches, if they have any misconfigurations, um, that could potentially uh, open the business for a breach. Um, it's usually a quick win for the organization to do vulnerability scans because if you don't have the means to do it, you can get a third party to do it. They tend not to be expensive. Mm -hmm. um, you can do it yourself by buying a, a solution. Um, they, they range on prices, but at the end of the day, the investment is worth the information you get uh, knowing how vulnerable your system is. Um, you also need to have an uh, incident response plan, which means 
What happens if something actually happens to us? What are we going to do? Um, a quick scenario that I ask everybody when I go to a client site and I ask them about their incident response plan is, what happens if your building catches fire? How are you going to operate your business? Are you going to be up a river without a paddle? Or do you have a second location to go to? Those are the questions that an incident response plan asks. And, and on that, um, Jesus, you know, one thing that uh, in working with our clients, um, if we ask if they have an instant response plan, very frequently the answer is yes, um, but that may very well mean that they found a document on the internet and they said, this looks really good, uh, this will be our incident response plan. And then so they put that on their internal shared drive and they say, this is our incident response plan. Um, but what we found is, is that when there actually is a breach or an event that threatens the availability of a company system, they normally don't go to their shared drive and then look at that incident response plan, which is boilerplate, and say, okay, we're gonna follow this now. Um, so I think one, one thing that we'd like to recommend is that there be a lot of careful thought and consideration in developing that plan, that there be training on it, um, and also that uh, there be testing of that, right? So that everyone's familiar with the incident responses that you're planning on, on performing when the events do occur. Because we're, whenever, uh, whenever there's a fire or whenever there's a major problem, we normally don't uh, run to a document to tell us what to do, right? Correct. The testing is always key. Uh, even if it's a tabletop exercise, which is basically getting the key players of uh, if an event happens, you know, what would we do? Do we know where to go buy new computers? Mm -hmm. I mean, or do we need to rely on whatever's on stock on, on the local, you know, box store mm -hmm. of electronics? So. And, I, and on that point, um, I recently read a study, this was um, done by the Poneman Institute on the cost of a data breach, uh, is that for companies that have an incident response plan in place, when they do get breached, it reduces the cost of a breach by as much as 10%, which uh, may not seem like a lot, but when you're dealing with maybe $150 or $200 per record, um, multiplying that out by the number of records that uh, may have been compromised, it really can add some significant cost savings. Now, the other point that I wanted to emphasize on a risk assessment is the biggest risk to the organization is us, the users, the human factor. So the best way to mitigate uh, the human factor is by security training. This is an easy win for any organization. They have uh, a way to address any concerns with the front line, with the employees. I mean, you have phishing emails that are targeted to accounts payable people, to the receptionist, to IT personnel, because they know that they have, the bad guys know that they have access to sensitive information. And the best way to compensate for that is to get them online training. And I say online because that's the easiest way to do it. You go to a uh, SaaS solution, a cloud service solution, and they don't cost us that much, about $4 per person. You get uh, videos that kind of highlight you know, here are the areas you want to look out for, like on a phishing email, how to spot it. Um, you know, if you go to a website, be careful with these items. Right, right. And, um, you know, something else that I, I recently read is that, um, that for breaches that occur, right, over 90% of breaches had phishing as an attack vector, which I think correlates very well to the point that you just made is that very often our weakest link are those people that are on the front lines that may click on an email, uh, on a hyperlink in an email, or open the attachment that they shouldn't. And that's normally the first domino in a series of dominoes that could lead to a breach, which really emphasizes the importance of training, right? 
Correct, training. And the last item that I wanted to add is role-based access because the majority of the uh, breaches happen for two reasons. The uh, systems not having all the security updates installed and the other is uh, people having excessive administrative rights. What that means is they don't they have more permissions to the computer than they need to do their job. So doing a, a check on does everybody have enough to do their work but not have too much access. Mm -hmm. So that would be a great uh, Definitely an internal control best practice. And for those of you that are wondering, we gave you a lot of things, right? So uh, what are some of the more time-intensive, labor-intensive efforts, and what are some quick wins that are actually very easy and affordable to implement? Um, you know, in our opinion, I think getting your asset inventory and data mapping in place are probably going to require a little more time and thought and effort, but some really easy, quick wins and affordable things that you can do are running a vulnerability scan to highlight any vulnerabilities or weaknesses that may be in place. It's normally an automated solution. It's normally pretty affordable. And also that security awareness training. As Jesus mentioned, $4 a user uh, is, is really affordable. Right? Average. Don't quote me on that. Average. Average. Don't hold us to it. Um, so I think that's probably, that's good for us to know, right? So, so then my last question for you, Jesus, on this is we've talked about the importance of a risk assessment and some best practices. Um, but it seems like a very kind of cerebral exercise. We don't really know where our risks are. Is there a risk inventory? How do we go about approaching this? So, um, so I'm, I'm wondering if then you can help us in identifying any tools that might be available to us to conduct a risk assessment, whether they're written frameworks, uh, compliance frameworks, what's out there that might be able to help us? Uh, there are multiple frameworks out there depending on the industry that you are in. Um, there are regulations you must follow um, based on the industry, but most likely you can go and search for COVID, COSO, um, HIPAA, and then NIST, and then you add the word risk assessment to any of those frameworks, mm -hmm. and you get the uh, documentation on how to do a risk assessment based on that industry you're in. Right. I, I think that's, that's very good advice. Um, I think in our experience, if you're looking for industry agnostic frameworks or risk assessment methodologies, um, NIST is a very good one, which stands for National Institute of Standards and Technology, uh, and it's what the federal government uses. Um, and they've rolled that out for the private sector um, to be able to, to be used. Uh, and you, that, that's not driven necessarily by the type of data or the industry in which you operate. It's a very good framework that you can apply regardless of industry. Uh, and that, that goes for COSO and COVID as well. From that point forward, you start getting into very industry-specific frameworks and methodologies, and that's normally driven by the type of data that you have or the industry in which you operate. So as you mentioned, Jesus, uh, healthcare is going to be HIPAA. If you have credit card data, uh, PCI is probably a good starting point. Uh, if you have personal data belonging to EU citizens, well, you might have to think about GDPR, and then you're getting in the realm of privacy, which is probably a whole other conversation for another time. Um, but uh, try to understand the type of data that you have, and that's typically going to then dictate your compliance requirements. And that's probably a very good starting point for understanding where my risks are and what methodology or framework I should be using, right? Correct. Perfect. Okay. So we've done our best to address cybersecurity risk in, uh, in our allotted time, um, but uh, we appreciate uh, everyone's time and patience, and that'll be it for today. <laughs>